Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's interesting you said that for every character, the first core of them emotionally is where they are with love. Yeah, it's what drives me, you know? And so it, it's the thing that I can hook into as Dorian, as a human being. I can hook into a character that way when I lead with that. And then um, I build around it. A lot of times what I would showcase as anger was really just hurt, you know? And it was because I felt like someone wasn't loving me enough or... I felt unloved at that moment. So you have to realize that and then you realize how powerful that is and how powerful that, especially for young black men who didn't have love. You know, we don't grow up in a loving society. We approach the world with this bravado, but it's really just little boys lost with no love, you know? And when you're able to get to the bottom of that, whether that character admits it to himself or not, that's another level that you have to decide. But that to me is like, that's the hook. And then you just build from there. Dorian Missick is one of those actors who know how to disappear into a role and make you really believe him. Right now, he's a gay inmate on For Life on ABC. In the past, he's been on Luke Cage, on The Good Wife, on Southland, and a lot more. He's a real artist and a DJ who's in the midst of a career highlight on For Life, even though he's stuck in the house like all of us. We talk about acting, making it, the black cinematic golden age that we're in, and how it is acting with his wife, Simone, who's also an accomplished star. She's Misty Knight on Luke Cage. This is the Patreon era of Toray Show. You're going to get half of this episode for free and the other half at patreon.com slash Show. For just $5 a month, you get eight episodes a month, including Patreon exclusives that come out on Friday like Malcolm Gladwell, Little Yachty, Joy Bryant, Russell Hornsby, and more. If you support the show, it's a huge help to our team. Now here's Dorian Missick on Toray Show. Thank you. 
So um, you're doing something interesting in terms of the your industry's response to Corona in terms of uh, the show you're shooting, All Rise, is shooting an episode where, you know, where everybody's separate. Like, how, how are you doing that? And how is that changing the creative part of it all? I mean, it's what what we've been doing is kind of like this, like, you know, how they have the Zoom situation. There's a lot of different um, platforms, Zoom, iPhone, stuff like, uh, you know, like FaceTiming and that kind of thing. And then I guess they're going to doctor it up and do whatever they need to do to it to make it look like something that should be on television. I'm, I'm just curious as everyone else, <laughs> actually. Uh, I really don't know how it's going to all play out. But I think it's cool. I mean, one of the things that I think is dope about art in general is that this is like a response to like what's going on, you know? And so yeah. like where the world might create some kind of hurdle, it's like it's the creative people who kind of figure out a way to get over that. And so to kind of be a part of something like that right now, that's very timely uh, that, uh, you know, AIDS. I mean, we're going to do it anyway because she's she, she was going to have to be on the show. So we were going to have to do something to that effect. So it was great that I got to be a part of it too. You know, as a family, we get to kind of be a part of this historic event during this historic time, you know, it's crazy actually. I mean, how is all this affecting you um, professionally? How is it affecting the industry? Cause you guys are by nature, there has to be a bunch of people there together close to each other to shoot a TV show or a movie. So you know, you wonder like, what's the industry looking like when it's going to be hard to be together for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It's like it's, this, this thing is evolving every day. I don't know. Yes. You know, uh, the way we got this done, I couldn't possibly see doing more than one episode in the manner in which we just did this. We were exhausted. You know, uh, not that I never appreciated the crew before, but you really appreciate a crew. And I come from independent film background, student film background, where it's like. You know, it's like the mom is is craft service and and uh, key grip and all that. But still, even with just a scaled down crew of just myself and Simone, it was it, it was some long days, man. So I don't see it continuing in that way. You know, I just see people kind of figuring out ways to evolve and um, potentially. I don't know, CGI. I, I don't know. You know, it's like it's tough <laughs> for me to even to even like try to like surmise at this point because that's above my pay grade number one but then number two is just like i i, I i'm excited to see where this thing goes um you know but then at the same time I, i'd like to just get back in the room with people you know that's that's like ideal uh i mean so much of acting is reacting and responding to the other person and when you're on a zoom and you can't really see somebody's body and the there's a little bit of a lag it's not it's not the same Nah, it's not the same at all. No, it's not. It's not. It's not the same. I mean, in this situation for the episode, you know, that that plays into it. So you, you use it. But that gets old, man. Like, there's no way you can do a whole season of a show. I mean, did you see the Saturday Night Live show that was done on Zoom? Yeah, they, they did two of them now. And yeah, like some of the sketches work. Some of the Zoom parodies kind of worked, but a lot of them kind of it's hard. Yeah, it's like it worked, but then you're like, this is only going to be funny for n- never again. Like, this is just funny right now. It doesn't, you know, like it doesn't age well. You know, it's not like the typical Saturday Night Live thing, you know. So 
it, it's at this point, we're just kind of bumbling through it, you know, as an, as an industry, you know, as, as the world is, it's just bumbling through it, trying to figure out how we're going to make this thing work. You know? I mean, I also you wonder have- about like, as creative people, when there's a lot of anxiety, it can be hard to create. Like you can create when your heart is broken, but that's different than feeling like anxiety about like, where is the world going? Yeah. And for any, for any creative person, that makes it hard to create. I don't even know how they were funny on Saturday Night Live. Like, <laughs> what you laughing at? Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, I'm glad they did it. But at the same time, it's just like, man, it's, it's really, yeah, it's a struggle, you know, trying to, because I, I know a lot of people are, were beating themselves up at one point because they had like so many, pl- like these grand plans of, I'm going to write this novel. I'm going to uh, write this movie. I'm going to make this ultimate album. But then like life, this life, man, this the situation is a little tough to cre- create under. I think maybe the longer we're in this space, the more people will kind of settle in and start doing things. You know, mm-hmm. personally, I had, I had already was, since we had finished our season on my show, I had already kind of planned on having like a, like a month off for vacation, so to speak. So I was going to create stuff anyway. That was when I was going to do my music and do all that stuff. So I'd already kind of got my mind wrapped around that. And the, the, the pandemic has kind of slowed me down in the sense that I don't feel so rushed anymore. Well, I want to talk about for life, but you talk about music, you DJ, but do you, you create music apart from that? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I create, uh, uh, well, I'm in the process of creating, you know, so, uh, yeah. What kind of music? Mostly right now. I mean, I, I, I've been, I've done a couple of, uh, hip hop thing, you know, some rap records, so to speak, you know, but like, these are things that I'm doing for myself because, you know, I'm 44 years old. A 44-year-old rapper debuting is not really the sexiest thing in the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of that. <laughs> so I just kind of have things to share, you know, that I, I want to get off of my chest. But the music that I've been making, like, music-wise, like, beat-wise, has been um, house music. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really d- deep into, like, soulful house and, um, I'm, and, and gospel house specifically. So that's kind of what I've been doing. So take me to um, what you've been doing on For Life, big time, ABC, primetime drama, a lot of people paying attention to the show. You're a prisoner and you're you're you got two big episodes right now coming up. Um, Tell me about your character, how you get into it, how you tell the story through this character. Well, The guy, the character's name is Jamal Bishop, and he's um, you know, he's uh, kind of the guy that we don't know, you know, in terms of he's figured out a way to navigate his way through the prison system through personality and through connections, you know. So he's kind of the guy who everybody loves, you know, uh, funny guy, uh, just not non confrontational, but he's not a, a chump, so you know that he can handle himself if the situation calls for it but he'd prefer to be the peacemaker. And so what's, yeah. what's he in for murder? Yeah. I think we just doing it. life. Uh, not life, but, uh, he's doing, he's doing a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's in, uh, for, because of the second degree, I think it is. So, um, yeah. So he's a, he's, he's a guy who's not, a, he's, he's not, you get the impression that if he was in another, if he wasn't in the prison system that, uh, you know, outside in the, in the world, he might be a salesman or, uh, 
you know, somebody, somebody like that, like definitely a, a likable guy, you know, a lovable guy. If that's makes sense. Huh? How much of it is like, they put it on the page and you present that and how much of it are you reading it and adding backstory and layers to the character on your own? I mean, you gotta do the whole thing is there's a lot on page paper and there's a lot that we discussed because coming into it, um, especially when they presented me with the pilot script, it wasn't anything on the page really. Um, it wasn't much at all, like nothing. It, it, I didn't, it, it didn't, aside from the fact that I really loved the story and the people involved, there was really no reason for me where I was at creatively to even step into it because I was just like, well, what is this guy? Who is this guy? But then um, from talking to Hank, our creator, and some of the other writers on the, on the team, you realize that you kind of had the opportunity to, to find something, to create a guy, you know, and have, have a hand in the creative process on who that guy is. So a lot of it comes from conversations that I had with the writers. And then these guys are just really, the team is really creative in what they discovered. And, and what we'll find out about Jamal is that he opens us up to a whole nother world of prison that isn't oftentimes discussed, or if it is discussed, it's not discussed in, um, uh, in, Listen, he comes out as a homosexual. Like, you know, I think by the time this airs, we'll know that. <laughs> so it's like, you okay. know, it comes out. Okay. And, and um, you know, oftentimes in, in prison stories, you're thinking of things like Edebisi or more of the uh, the uh, predatory uh, homosexual. And this guy is, uh, you know, a person who is on the quest for love. And that's very different. Was, was he gay when he entered prison? Yeah. Yeah, he was in a relationship. Yeah, full-blown relationship. And um, so is it the uh, sort of thing love. he's going to... He's got to keep it from people because he doesn't want to be bullied and oppressed for it or. Uh, it's just I mean, it's kind of like anything like you know, I, when someone goes away and you, and you leave a loved one behind you, people find different ways to cope. You know, it's not so much that he was trying to keep it a secret because he didn't want to, um, to be outed or to be. It's just literally like he left his love behind. And, and sometimes to do that, you got to shut that person out, shut that world out just so you can function because it's just like to try to keep yourself connected to something on the outside world gives you a hope that may, that can be dangerous on the inside. And so he had to completely let go of it. And um, in this particular episode, they really explore that. You know, I mean, I wonder what it's like just mentally and emotionally preparing as a straight man to prepare to play somebody gay and to make that feel really honest. And, you know, you, the audience has to believe you. Right. And we know who your wife is. She's a star. We love her, mm. you know, on our own. And you're like, no, I want you to believe this. So how do you make that convincing? I mean, love is love, you know. Um, and more often than not, as actors, you know, I mean, we'll, what I look for in a character is what drives them, you know. And usually what drives most people is love or the quest for love, lost love. You know, like that's like the core of every act, every character that, that kind of that's usually where I start. And so, um, you know, that's something that's a universal theme. Like we can, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, you identify with that, uh, with, with knowing what that is, you know what I mean? So I think that when you place the, when you place those realities in, the, in, in that situation, you push that, push that forward. It doesn't make it, it's not like the guy is, uh, you know, a character from Pose or something like that, where it's like it's like a, a, a humongous leap in terms of it's just, you know, he's he's a man who 
is attracted to another man who's in love with another man. And that man is, is not in prison with him. And so that that's really was the easiest thing for me. That aspect was easy. What was tough was trying to keep people to hold the writers at bay to keep them from like, uh, you know, giving away the secret too soon. <laughs> and a lot of things that they wanted to do, you know, we had to kind of pull back every now and again. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. If you love Torre Show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't, then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody-Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a Black and progressive perspective. I want you to put real words and real plans behind the way that this current administration is trying to wipe us out. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed, 
All right, back to Torre show. It's interesting you said that for every character, the first core of them emotionally is 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 where they are with love. Like, talk about that just in terms of your general process, right? It sounds like you sort of look at the script and you say, you know, what is their relationship to love? Is that kind of how you start to figure out the character? Yeah, for, uh, because, I mean, it, it's it's what drives me, you know? And so it, it's the thing that I can hook into as Dorian, as a human being. I can hook into a character that way when I lead with that. And then um, I build around it, you know? Um, because... It's not, I think, and that's what humanizes a lot of characters, uh, because I think a lot of times people approach things as like a stock character or just like they, they, they allow the situation to inform who the person is more than the person in the situation, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, that I, I feel like we're, we're all driven by that, whether we admit it or not. You know, a lot of times, uh, I, you know, I did, I did a little bit of anger management because, uh, you know. That's something that I've had to work on in my life. And um, one of the things that I discovered in that moment was that a lot of times what I would uh, showcase as anger was really just hurt, you know, and it was because I felt like someone wasn't loving me enough or uh, I felt unloved at that moment, you know, even if it was by a stranger, you know, you just, so you have to realize that. And then you realize how powerful that is and how powerful that especially for young black men who didn't have love. You know, we don't grow up in a loving society. And so we approach the world with this bravado, but it's really just a little boy's loss with no love, you know? And when you're able to get to the bottom of that, whether that character admits it to himself or not, that's another level that you have to decide. But you know, that to me is like, that's the hook, you know? And then you just build from there. Yeah, definitely true for a lot of younger black boys even into their teenage years what is prized in the home out of the home is strength of physical and emotional strength um you know and showing how cool you can be not vulnerability not love not certainly not humility um you know and that that shapes who we become right definitely definitely i mean we're, 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 I think that young, we're on a search for that, you know, and it's just, we've been taught different ways in which to, uh, to express that and to show it, you know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, the bravado that we have, you know, growing up on the block that, that like you can, it's nothing to cry when one of your homeboys dies, man. you know what I'm saying? It's nothing like that's cool to, to cats, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, if, if your lady leaves you, man. Nobody wants to see you cry. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? Like, it, And it's just the way that we're brought up, you know? So it's not that we're not allowed to have emotions. It's just like we're we're kind of taught to kind of target that emotion and use it in different ways. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so once you're able to kind of get a hold of that, uh, you can control your life in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, it's it's like a fire. It can either burn the house down or it can keep you warm, depending on how you how you use it. And so that helps me with with every character. Where did you, where did you grow up? What was your uh, home life like? Man, I kind of grew up a little bit everywhere. I was born in New Jersey, so I lived there for years, and then moved to Brooklyn, then moved to Atlanta, then moved back to Brooklyn. where where in where in Brooklyn? I'm in Brooklyn. Best time. 
Yeah. I'll okay, see I'm in Fort Greene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Fort Greene. Yeah. yeah. I used to live in Clinton Hill, though, too, as well. I lived in Clinton Hill for a long time, St. James. Right next to us in Fort Greene. No yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see you on the block every now and again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then um, Atlanta, which was, uh, you know, something that a lot of black folks did, which is where a lot yep. of money still is, made that uh, move down there for a little while. And then once I finished high school, I came back. Wouldn't you we say, were you in the hood in Jersey and in, in, in Bed-Stuy and all that? Uh, looking back, I guess I was. But at the time, it didn't, it didn't <laughs> feel that way. Like, you know, uh, because I always knew kids who were off work, better off worse in worse situations than I was. You know, yeah. I always had lights, always had food, always had. I didn't realize that it that there was even a, an even better way to live growing Did up. Did you have a father? Yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad he passed away. It's been three years now, four years now. Oh, sorry um, to hear that. No, thanks. But yeah, he was a uh, part of my life, you know, up until about age 12. And then things got a little sketchy, you know, it was an addiction issue and he was in the streets and that that whole thing. So he kind of disappeared for a while. And then, he, you know, I had uh, some stepfathers. My mother was married three times. Uh, one of them wasn't the greatest. Uh, one was quite abusive, actually, uh, towards me. And so that shaped me as a man, you know, um, quite a bit shaped me as a man. The expectation of violence coming towards you? Uh, yeah. And it also kind of taught, taught me that I was, uh, what I was built of, he built out of, you know, my father, when he was around was very influential on me and a, and a very hands-on dad, you know, and I come from West Indian background. So it's my, my family's Bahamian and I'm the first generation in the States. So there's a lot that comes along with that. Uh, in terms of like expectations on uh, manhood. And then the guy who my mother uh, married the second time around was a African-American athlete, kind of been coddled his whole life. And I realized that I had an opportunity to become a man sooner than he did. (laughs) You know, like more, I I was given them more of an opportunity because no one was uh, coddling me my whole life. You're an athlete, you know, they make sure everything, people do your homework for you. If you get pulled over by the cops, uh, they might let you go. You know, it's, it's just like you're not ever expected to live a man's life. And I think he was intimidated by that when um, when he, when we met, when my mother married him and for him to see a, a young boy who who held him, who, who uh, was able to stand on his own, too, I think was kind of tough for him. But that taught me a lot about myself and about how people respond to you when they're not when they can't um, deal with your personality. Mm, mm. So were you fighting back with him or? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's uh, this is this is hilarious. This is years of of uh, therapy before I could even call it abuse because I would have told you I just fought the dude. I lost every single fight, but uh, you know, it was a fight nonetheless. I punched back. You know, I just never won. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so somebody like one time brought it to my attention. They were like, "Yo, that's that's abuse. That that's technically abuse, man. You were bullied." And I was he's like, a man ah. and you're a teenager. Like, that's not a fight. That's abuse. Yeah. But to me, I was just like, yeah, I used to fight that dude all the time, man. But and I thought one day I was going. It's just never I never got to that place. <sighs> so how does that continue to weigh on you when you like now I know what that was? Well, it, it explains a lot about uh, like I said, it goes back to the whole thing about the the bravado and the braggadocio, uh, braggadocio attitude that we as black men are oftentimes told to have, you know, and I knew, I know what it's like to live in fear, you know, and I knew what that did to me when I went outside 
into uh, into the street because what I was I figured no one if this guy because he was six nine three hundred some pounds if this dude couldn't scare me or kill me I didn't have any fears about anybody that I encountered outside of the house you know uh, but then I also harbored a lot of anger and so if I did get into a confrontation it would go from zero to one hundred way faster than the average human being. And I carried that throughout most of my life, throughout most of my 20s and my early 30s. And then you realize, listen, man, this is not a way to, 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 to you know, navigate through the world. And uh, it costs you legal fees and, you know, all kinds of things. And this is not something that you want to do, especially considering the career that I have. You know, that's the beautiful thing about acting is you have an opportunity to use that as an outlet and push that energy out into the world. And you're applauded for it. But, uh, you know, you got to go somewhere and deal with it. You got to put it somewhere. They say, I I read that jazz is part of your upbringing and part of your style as an actor. How, how is that? Where, where do you see that connection in Uh you? When I was um, about 20 years old, I joined a theater company in Harlem called uh, Jazz Actors Theater. And it was a company that had been around since the seventies and started by Ernie McClintock, the late great Ernie McClintock. And uh, his concept was like jazz musicians, you know, you go and you, 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 you work on your, on your craft. And then uh, once you come out of the shed and you, and you start to jam, you, you, know, you, you, can, you have that, you have those, those skills. And then you come out and you're able to uh, freestyle and, and, and um, bring yourself, not bring yourself, but bring your own interpretation to the material, uh, but yet still stay within the, the rules and regulations of whatever that the material is. And it just, I found it to be very freeing. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, in the, and, and I find it to be freeing in the way I can approach my work now is that, uh, you know, you, you play this note a little differently. Uh, yeah, you know what the song is. And, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I speed up this, this part or maybe I, I do this a little differently. And you notice that any human being that you meet, they, they have the different rhythms and different ways of saying the same thing. 
And uh, so it's just a, a great approach for me and for my work. What's the difference between a good actor and a great actor? Man, I think a lot of good actors, there's a lot of good actors, I think, um, because I think a good actor is somebody who can, this is this is like bare minimal good actor, somebody who can say words and not sound like they're reading and uh, tell the story, you know? And then a great actor is somebody who's like, you have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, you have no idea what the journey is they're going to take you on. But when they do, you're so thankful and you, and you feel it in your core. That to me is a great actor, you know, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not something that all of us can do. Is it in terms of the hierarchy of, of actors? And we think about like, you know, there, there's the biggest stars and then there's, you know, levels below them. Um, is it a meritocracy? Like, are the guys and women who are the biggest stars, are they the best actors? Uh, and then like, you know, like, like in sports, we think about the, we think about the best athletes, right? We think about the best basketball players, whatever. LeBron is the best player. That's why he's the most famous, you know, and down the line. Is it like that? Or is because sometimes I wonder if it's like, well, he's more famous and better looking than X, Y, and Z, but he's not a better actor than this guy over here who's never the lead, but he's, you know, he's second, third banana, but he's incredible actor. Yeah. Now, you know, it comes down to uh, who has the best uh, travel agent, you know, who's the most pub <laughs> best publicist. <laughs> no, I mean, ultimately, you know, I mean, it's like anything, man. It's, it's, a, it's a, an industry that is, the, the goal is to sell tickets and even to get general audiences into the, into the theater or to tune into a show. People kind of want to have some kind of brand recognition and they want to know what it is that they're, they're going for. So a lot of times the big stars are because you know what you're going to get when you show up for them. So it's like brand recognition. You know, you, you know what Adam Sandler is going to do and it's fine. That's what you show up for. And so it allows the other actors to kind of create uh, a different world around that person. And then every now and again, you will catch one of those actors, you know, like a, a Denzel Washington, who their brand is that they do something different every time, you know, but even still, you know, as, as Denzel has gotten older and things like that, there are still things that we know that as Denzel isms and um, that, you know, someone can imitate Denzel. I remember for years, I was like, how can anybody do a Denzel impression that he doesn't do anything that they can impersonate? And then as people started to do it, you're like, oh, wow, actually, he kind of does, you know, but it took a while for me to, to see that. It took many, many movies for him to do that. And for like a, you know, uh, Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt, these guys are able to kind of disappear, uh, Caprio, able to disappear into roles, but that's their brand. You know, you go and you, you want to be surprised by them. That's that is so difficult to achieve as an artist that uh, some, some people don't ever want to. You know, it's just easier to lean on your looks or easier to lean on a shtick. You know, it's 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 very, 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 very profitable for some. So how can you tell them to stop? <laughs> so you're 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 a, you're a great actor. You're trained. You care deeply. You think deeply about the the craft and all that. How do you, Dorian, move up so that in five to 10 years, you're getting bigger roles? You're the star of the show. You're the number one or number two in the movie. How do you, how do you ascend uh, professionally? I think that, um, I know personally, for me, it, has, it comes down to me being um, more confident. I had to get to a space of more confidence in who I was and what I brought to the table as an artist. 
because I definitely had those opportunities early on. I was given in my early twenties, I was given opportunities that were like, you know, almost like the fork in the road. You go this way, you're the next Eddie Murphy, or you go this way and you're, you're a character actor. And what I realized was when I was getting those offers, you know, development deals at, uh, at networks to create my own show and things like that, I realized that there was a box that they wanted to put me in that I wasn't comfortable with. But at the time, I wasn't clear enough on what box I wanted to present to them. I just knew I wanted to act, but I, I did not want to be this person who you were trying to make me. And it was a very different time. You know, it's not the we're not talking about the black arts renaissance that we're experiencing now. I'm talking about, you know, the the 90s when we had like homeboys in outer space. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was like, let's get him a show, and it's gonna be that homeboy uh from around the corner. Like, you know, it was just like it was the, the options weren't there. Or what they would do is they would find these actors that they love, these actors do such beautiful things, and then they get you and they put you on a show with uh, some pretty person who's not that great. And mm. uh, they have you do all the tricks and the flips and the pretty person shows up and gets all the credit. And I just wasn't, ego-wise, I wasn't ready to do that. And so I think that, uh, you know, I, as a result, you know, people have, have learned that I, that I have a certain, when you, when you bring me to the table, you're asking for a certain level of quality. And um, I think that as time goes by, it, it, it builds. And um, is it like, I mean, you talk about the big guys and women give you a certain brand. So you kind of know what you're in for when it's De Niro or Denzel or Meryl Streep, even though there's some variety. And then you talk about, I don't put Meryl in that. Meryl is like, oh, she's a chameleon. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. a chameleon. But it's still, you kind of, I mean, she can do many, many, many things, but you still have an idea of like what you're getting when you, I mean, you're getting like the acting show, right? I am the greatest actor of all time sort of thing. But then you're like, okay, Dorian, you're a certain age and you're like, okay, we want to put you in a box. And is that similar? Like, do you want to get into the right box? So then the audience knows, okay, this is what you get from me. And if you want that, come here and let's rock together. And if you don't, it's fine. Don't be, don't come over here and be disappointed. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't, the box is too, because as a, as a, as a person, I'm constantly changing, you know, okay. like, you know, the, the guy that I was at 30, I'm not at 44, you know, and I don't plan to be the same guy at, at 50. And so I would hate to be a slave to my brand, so to speak, unless okay. that brand is, you know, listen, this guy is known for doing a, a several different things, you know? I mean, at this point in my career, I think I, I've had opportunity. I've had situations where it's like I'm known for one thing. And then a few years later, I'm known for something different. And I can tell at what point what your entry point was into my career based on what you think that I am, because the offers that I get are all over the place. And it's because I, I'm like, well, this person was introduced to me because of this project. or I can just tell based on that. And that's a beautiful place to be. You know, it's also pretty lucrative, but you know that it can be much more lucrative if I could just, you know, get a catchphrase or something. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much to Dorian for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montez, and Jason Reynolds. Join us over at patreon.com slash show to get more of this and an extra episode every Friday only for Patreon subscribers. 
Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and next Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Shut us down.